We're starting a brand new series today, calling, calling it Playlist. And the thing about a playlist, especially like a personal playlist, has come a long way in my lifetime. Back in the day, you know what we called playlists? Mixtapes. Because they were literally on cassette tapes, and you'd burn some music, and you'd share it with your friends or give it to that special someone. And then eventually, the, the mixtape gave, gave way to the mix CD, where now we had digital music, and so we can burn digital music on here and get a lot more songs loaded, and then you could write the Sharpie on the, on the CD, and, and if you wanted extra bonus points, actually design some cover art for your little CD case and slide it in there, a couple little hearts, a couple things like that. Again, share it with your friends, you know, give it to that special someone, and, and then digital music went even further with the invention of that personal hard drive you can carry in your pocket that became the iPod, or in my case, the Zune, but still, you could carry... Now you had like over a thousand songs you could carry anywhere you went and so the playlist exploded because you had all these songs now that you could choose from and and all of these songs you can condense down for whatever activity or mood you were in you could have one for going to the gym or hanging with your friends whether you're running or lifting or whatever that thing was the playlist followed you everywhere well then the online digital uh, streaming services like spotify now put almost every song ever made at our fingertips. Made almost every song possible for us to to grab and to use and to create our playlists. And now our playlists were no longer as personal. They were very public. If you look at Spotify, there are like a million playlists out there that you can look at. And I was looking at some this week and it was kind of amazing to me as I looked at a couple of these because you read some of these playlists that people put together, especially the titles, and you wonder, What's the story behind that? I came across, so one of them that I looked at today was called this. Here's the name of the playlist. And you can look these up. These are legit. Sorry I Lost Your Cat. (laughs) Well, I get the story, right? It's kind of obvious there was a cat that got lost. Somebody felt responsible and bad about it. What I don't get is why a playlist seemed like the correct response to that. It's like, hey, I know I lost your, I know you wanted me to watch your cat, and I was supposed to, and I, you know, and the cat got away, and now it's gone, and and I know it was your lifelong friend and closest companion, and and now it's gone forever, but hey, here's some rocking tunes. It just doesn't make sense to me. There's another one I looked at, knitting party. (laughs) Because you know what? When you got your needles, you got your yarn, you got your crew, you need the right tunes to make that thing happen. All right, third one. This one, I, I love this one. Because literally, the, the title will tell you the story. Again, you can look these up. Do not delete this again, Pootie, or I will end you. <laughs> how awesome is that? Come on, how many people have had Pooties in their life, right? How many of you are Pooties in other people's lives? Love that. And then this last one is just heartbreaking. It is too heartbreaking words forever alone (laughs) right oh and the worst part about that is that these other playlists I was looking at they had like a couple of followers people going yeah identify with that forever alone has 1600 followers 1600 people going you get me you know what it's like it's crazy because, you know, because that's the thing. You've got all these followers because people want to be with someone who understands how they feel, right? And that's the thing about a good playlist. 
is it can do a couple of things in your life. It can either help you get out of a funky mood, right? You're like, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to move forward. I want to break out. And a good playlist can help you do that. Or sometimes, I mean, you just want to hunker down. You just want to be in the pain. And maybe, you know, with somebody who understands it. And songs can help do that for us. And that's why we call this series Playlist. Because we believe that's what the book of Psalms can do. That the book of Psalms is made up of 150 songs and poems that were written to God. About half of them were written by King David. About half of them written by other artists. And it's, ba- it's loosely divided into three primary playlists or categories. There's a lot of subcategories, but three primary playlists for the book of Psalms. The first is praise. These are songs that celebrate God. The second is lament. These are songs written about a painful event or experience. And the third is wisdom. And these are songs written to teach a lesson. The interesting thing about the book of Psalms, it is is the most quoted book by Jesus. And if you think about it, he and his crew would have had the entire book of Psalms memorized in the same way that you and I memorize all the songs that we grow up with, that we can still, you know, even as we were doing the playlist earlier, my, all those songs came back to me. I know every word to all these songs. And it would be the same with Jesus and his crew. The book of Psalms is some of the most painfully honest and amazingly beautiful writing in the Bible. And I would argue even more painfully honest and amazingly beautiful than forever alone. Today, we're going to be looking at, I'm going to introduce you guys to, to one of my favorite psalms. It's Psalms 131. And uh, it, it just, just has spoken to me a lot. And also, what I love about this is it can literally change the way you see God. And so if you got your Bibles with you, got your apps, you can go ahead and, and open up, pull up Psalm 131. It'll be on the screen. But let me read it for you. This was written by King David, and here's what he says. He says, My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. That's the the length of the psalm. It's interesting, a 19th century preacher uh, by the name of Charles Spurgeon said that this is one of the shortest psalms to read but one of the longest to learn. Because it's so short, let me read it again. But this time, I I just want you to just to sit back and I want you just to, to let the words soak in. Let me read it again. My heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I'm like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. As you listen to those words, what do they stir in you? For me, it's this invitation, this call to calm and to peace and to contentment. And to be honest with you, that's not a normal place for my life. My life is not one that typically spends most of its time in that calm and peace and content place. And I I would argue that probably most of us live a more anxious existence. 
If I were to ask you this question, how would you answer it? Would you say that your life is characterized more by times of peace or is it dominated more by anxiety and maybe even depression? If you're being honest with yourself and you look at the the fullness of your life, is it more about times of peace and contentment? Is it more this uneasiness, this anxiety, this struggle? To be honest with you, my life is characterized more by anxiety and depression. This is something that that I have always wrestled with to varying degrees throughout my life. I've always been kind of spring-loaded into the darker despair aspects of life. And and even that, that, that constant anxiety, even as I've gotten older, it seems like it's gotten amped up. You know, I will find myself waking up many a morning with just this, this heaviness on my chest and just this sense of uh, unidentifiable dread. And I don't think I'm alone in that. In fact, if you look at recent statistics, you'll see that, that I'm not alone in this at all. That here's, as a country, we are experiencing ever-increasing levels of depression and anxiety. That we are seeing soaring rates of anxiety among teenagers. The National Institute of Mental Health estimated that 38% of teenage girls and 26% of teenage boys are suffering from anxiety disorders. And it's happening across all generations. A 2017 study of over 600,000 people found significant increases of depression, not only among teenagers, but also among older adults. The New York Post recently ran an article citing how anxiety and depression among millennials is at an 80-year high. I see this every day. It is concerning to me, especially those numbers, because it is concerning to me how many 20 and young 30-year-old men and women I know who suffer from debilitating anxiety and panic. That it is mind-boggling to me. See, but this is not a generational problem. This is a human problem. And we see it increasing all the time. And it's especially, though, for me, the challenge is, as a Jesus follower, I have a hard time reconciling some of the things I wrestle with and, and what's going on in the world with, with, with what Jesus has given to us and promised us. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So where's that peace? Because, see, I have a hard time believing that Jesus would promise something we can't possess. And so I'm like, how do I get there? How do I get to that place? And that's why I love the psalm by David. Because as I look at this psalm that David wrote, I'm like, David got it. He understood. And so I think as we unpack that psalm a little bit, we may even find potentially a roadmap to that peace. That David begins this way. He says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. And those words, proud and haughty, oftentimes we think of as thinking you're better than somebody else. But in the biblical sense, proud and haughty mean that you live as if you do not need God. And this isn't just people who don't know God. This is people who know God but live as if they don't need him. It is about a gross sense of self-reliance. And if you're wondering whether you're proud and haughty, let me ask you a very hard question. 
and be honest with yourself. Do you claim to believe that everything depends on God, but act as if everything depends on you? Do you claim to believe that everything depends on God, but act as if everything depends on you? That is the definition of proud and haughty. And the thing is that there is no room for peace or contentment in that. Because if that is you, if you're out there acting as if everything depends on you, then you are carrying a weight, you are carrying a burden that you were never designed to carry. And there is no peace in that. And so David recognizes that right away. The first thing he says is, no, I release that. That he was very clear about his role. And he continues on. He says, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. Now, that doesn't mean that David doesn't think deep thoughts, you know, or big, big picture ideas. What he is saying is that he's not allowing the, the weight and responsibilities that he has to consume him. And what kind of weight and responsibilities did, did, did King David have? Well, as of the writing of this, he had just become king of Israel. He had enemies outside the kingdom everywhere and within the kingdom trying to pull him down. He had all these people, an entire nation, looking to him for guidance and protection and safety and a future. And he had never been a professional king before. He had no clue what he was doing. Do you think maybe he had some responsibilities and maybe there's a heaviness? And I think many of us, carry that same heaviness, those, those you know, maybe we, you know, we're not king of a nation, but we've got some responsibilities that we carry around with us. I know there are people in this room who go to a job every day, and they are secretly terrified that people are going to find out that they're an imposter, that you literally have no idea what you're doing. And you show up and you fake it every day hoping it doesn't come out, and you carry around the anxiety of that. And there are many of you in this room today who walk around every day with the feeling that everyone else's happiness depends on you. That if you are not the right person, if you're not there to listen and to help and to coach, then everyone else will be miserable, that it's all your weight to carry. I'm certain there are people in this room who are consumed with maybe a broken relationship or or maybe a, a struggling family member. And every day you're just carrying the weight of that. But David chose not to allow those fears and responsibilities to consume his mind. Instead, what he says is this. But instead, I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. David says that when faced with overwhelming aspects of this world, he quiets himself like a weaned child. And for those of you who are thinking, I don't know what a weaned child is. A weaned child is a child who no longer needs to breastfeed, that the, the parents have introduced other, other forms of food. And, and just so you know, for the, point, the sake of this discussion, I want you people to know that when I talk about weaning, I am kind of an expert. All right, I'm just letting you know that you are in the hands of a professional here because not only have I raised my own children and been through that, but over the last four years, I have become the papa to six grandbabies. All right? Yeah. Don't applaud. Pray. All right? And as a matter of fact, you can see here 
That is a snapshot of my life right there, okay? As you can see, I am knee-deep in breastfeeding and weaning, and so I'm a bit of an expert. And here's what I know about weaning, that the process of weaning can be very traumatic, that there's tears and confusion and tantrums, and the babies have a hard time too. But once the child comes to the point that they realize that mom can provide for their needs without breastfeeding, that child can then relax. A weaned child is a very peaceful creature because it is no longer demanding that their mother feed them. That child can now simply rest in their mother's embrace. Simply enjoy their mother's presence. And for those of us who follow Jesus, this is a picture of spiritual maturity. When you begin enjoying God's presence more and demanding his provision less. I mean, think about it. When we first begin our relationship with God, we are like those breastfeeding children that we are crying out to God, protect us, provide for us, comfort us. But as we grow... We discover that real peace doesn't come from having our needs met. It comes from finding contentment in God without demands and even without expectations. That that peace and contentment that we seek, that David speaks about, requires that we focus less on our desires and more on God's presence. In the fourth century, there was an author who wrote a book that kind of speaks to this. And he he introduces this idea of four levels of loving God, this this movement in spiritual growth. And I think it has a lot, I think it will be very helpful for us just to take a quick look at today. The first level he talks about is where you are loving yourself for your sake. This is where we all start. We all begin self-centered, self-focused, self-reliant. The world revolves around me. I am the center of the world. Everything depends and everything affects me. There is no room for God. But then, once we discover God through Jesus, we now go to the next level that he talks about, which is loving God for your sake. It's still kind of self-centered. This is where we love God because of what he provides to us. We love God because he comforts us. We love God because he provides for us. We love God for what he does for us. And unfortunately, this is where most Christians I know kind of plateau. But there's a third level that this author talks about. Loving God for God's own sake. That it is no longer loving God because of what God does for you. It is loving God because he's worth it, because of who he is. And we all have relationships like this in our lives right now. Is we have people who we have a transactional relationship with. I do stuff for you, you do stuff for me. That's a relationship. But we've got people we just want to hang with. Right? we got people that we just like to, to be with because they're awesome and they're cool. And, and you know what? You don't even need to say or do. I'm just wanna, I just want to listen to you breathe. Isn't that how young love starts? We've been there. We know that feeling. I just want to listen to you breathe. I just want to sit on the couch. I don't care if we're watching something stupid on TV. I just want to be with you. 
See, that's that third level of loving God. God, it's not about what you can do for me or whatever. I just want to be with you. This is this greater level of intimacy. This is what David is talking about when he says like a weaned child. Like a weaned child. Resting in his mother's embrace, content and at peace. And this is where you find the rest and the peace over your anxiety. And for those of you who are overachievers, there's a fourth level. And that's called loving yourself for God's sake. And this one is kind of an awesome level on its own. I don't have time to preach on it. But it's kind of cool because basically at this level, this is where you no longer see yourself for yourself. You see yourself through God's eyes. You no longer think too highly or too lowly of yourself. You simply see yourself, your primary identity as a child of God. But that's for a later sermon. So what does it take to get from level two to level three? From demanding and crying to contentment and peace. Well, I think we have to follow David's lead. We need to learn to calm and quiet ourselves. And I just want to finish here with just a couple of what I think are maybe practical ways we can begin to move that way. And the first is this. I believe that we can begin to calm ourselves By opting out of outcomes. By opting out of outcomes. There's so much of the anxiety and experience that we experience is because we are trying to control events, circumstances, and people that are truly out of our control. Right? Isn't that where most of our anxiety comes from? We're trying to control things that are outside of our control, that we must surrender outcomes to God. But in order to do that, you must believe that God is working for your ultimate good. Because as long as you insist on keeping your hands on the controls of your life, you are stating that you know better than God what it takes for you to achieve peace and contentment. And that is the definition of proud and haughty, that you know better than God what it will take for you to achieve peace and contentment. And here's what Jesus' buddy Peter would say to that. He would say, humble yourselves, Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, that he may lift you up in the due time, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That true humility doesn't pretend to be in control of outcomes. Instead, you simply choose to trust that God cares for you and you are prepared to accept whatever he allows to come your way. How terrifying is that? that you simply choose to trust God with whatever comes your way. But what if something comes my way that I don't like? What if it it causes suffering or pain or struggle? Well, I mean, that was last week's message that, that, that James and Rudy both spoke to us talking about this idea that even when bad things come our way, these are things that God can use for good. Like when there's a fly just like zooming your head all the time. And you're hoping no one will notice. And you try to make crazy hand gestures. It'll go away. But it'll make you a better preacher because you'll be on task. And that's what happens when all these things come our way. Even if it's hard and even if it's a struggle and even if it's an irritant or a distraction. God can use those things for you to experience a deeper sense of him 
He can use those things to make you one step closer to being the man and woman that you want to be as you persevere, as you don't give up. So as we know that, then even the bad things God will use for good because he cares for you so we don't have to be afraid anymore. We can opt out of outcomes. And we can humbly let God carry the burden for our future. And the second thing is this, that the way we, calm, that we quiet ourselves is I think we need to schedule silence and solitude. I think this is one of the most neglected spiritual disciplines, but one of the most effective when it, calms to, when it comes to allowing you to calm yourself, that we need to establish unhurried, uninterruptible, goodbye cell phone, checks of, chunks of time to be with God. That we need to establish unhurried, uninterruptible chunks of time to be with God. That we need to immerse ourselves in silence. The more we do that, the better we get at it. The more we do that, the better we are able to step into those brief moments that occasionally appear even and actually be fully present and calm and quiet. And maybe you just start with five or ten minutes a day. You know, when I talk about this times of of, of silence, of silence and solitude, what I'm saying is, in addition to your Bible study, just time hanging with God. No expectations, no agenda. Just sit with him like you would a friend. And maybe you start with, like, after you're done with your Bible studies in the morning, you know, maybe just, again, God, next five minutes is you. We're just hanging. And then maybe you, you add to that. You know, maybe once a month you take a couple hours. Go to the lake, go to the mountain, go to your backyard. Lock yourself in your closet, whatever it takes. And just, again, just hang with God like you would a friend. Maybe once a year, take a half a day, maybe a full day, a couple of days. You begin to build these things into the rhythm of your life. And again, I'm going to ask you to trust me on this. From experience, I am telling you, the most powerful and profound experiences of God I have ever had were typically in these situations where I have created this, these chunks of silence and solitude just to be with God. And it's not even about the, the profound. It's even just it's sometimes just about the personal. I was doing a, um, a five-day silent retreat a couple of weeks ago. And I was super excited because, you know, I'd, I'd cleared off work and I'd gone to a special place that I loved. And, and I was hunkered down for five days of not talking, of just being with God. And, man, and I couldn't wait to see what he was going to reveal. I couldn't wait to see what he was going to do. And I found myself feeling very anxious. And I'm like, that's weird. I'm, I'm supposed to be chilling here. Why am I so anxious? And, and it occurred to me. Because I was anxiously waiting for whatever it was God was going to do. I was ready for what, you know, what, what, was he going to, you know, open up the skies? Was he going to flip my heart and make me better? Was he going to show me a direction in my life? What was going to happen? And I realized I was so busy chasing after the gift that I completely neglected the presence of the giver. And I caught myself. And so I had to apologize. I had to say, God, I'm sorry. I was so busy chasing after what you were going to give me or do for me that I wasn't just hanging with you. And so I told him, I said, you know, these, the rest of this week, this is yours. You know, I just want to hang. So if you want to do something profound and open up the heavens or flip a switch in me, whatever, cool, I'm, I'm open. But if you just want to hang with me and just be with me and let me just be with you, that'll be good too. And the whole rest of that week, 
I experience these times of peace and calm and contentment because I got rid of the expectations, got rid of the demands. And like a weaned child, I just sat there with God. And that's what I want for you guys. I want you guys to know that feeling. I want you guys to know the feeling of just being able to calm and quiet yourself before God, of knowing the peace and contentment that comes from letting him carry the burden of your futures and from simply loving him for no other reason than he deserves it and he's worth it. And I believe that's where you're going to find your peace. Let's pray. Father God, you know that even in preparing this message, I'd struggle with it a little bit because I just, I wish there was more practical stuff to do. But at the end of the day, God, you're not about practical. God, Father, you go so much beyond that. I'm so grateful that you can reach in and touch the hearts and minds of people. So Lord God, I just ask that you do that now. That you set in them a vision for what it would look like to pursue you beyond demands or expectations, but to, to find you simply for who you are, to love you better by being loved better by you, by finding that rest and that peace and letting go of the outcomes of it, letting go of the demands of expectations and just being with you. And God, I just pray you help to create space and time in people's lives. And I, and I pray that you put in them a desire to, to ruthlessly fight for their own space and time to be with you the way they would with anyone they loved. God, because it is there that I believe that we will find peace, we will find rest and contentment in an ever-increasing and anxious, crazy world. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.